that that I would speak the word of God faithfully, that I wouldn't allow uh, uh, my own agenda, my own heart, my own my own anything, Lord, to get in the way of of your Holy Spirit moving and your will um, happening. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with the folks who are here today and touch their hearts and their minds and and Lord God, fill them fill them up with your Spirit, Lord, that that the seed of your word would be. Uh, find good soil, would, would find a place to plant and, and grow into a great harvest. Um, I pray that you would take away everything that's a distraction or an irritation or, or, or an obsession or anything else, Lord, everything that gets in the way of us being in your presence today, Lord, just take it away from us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we are ooh, coming up on the last account in the life of Samson. We're working our way through Judges, and I'm I'm actually not sure if we're going to finish, finish Judges this summer. There's one more section after this. I try to do Old Testament passages in the summer and New Testament during the winter, and, and um, I'm, I'm running out of weeks here. Uh, and so just FYI, uh, I'm not sure we're going to finish Judges, but we are definitely finishing Samson this month. Um, and so as we're coming up on the end, um, well, before I get into that, let me, let me tell a story. I was... I was Yesterday, because of my wife's birthday, she's 25 years young this year, um, we, we went for, uh, for her birthday, we went to, to Columbia Falls. There's a big water park in Columbia Falls, and my wife loves water parks, and, and so we drove all the way out there to do this, and um, we're out in the sun all day. I don't know if you all have ever done that, where you're in the sun and the heat, and then like you add swimming pool to that, and it gets to be pretty tiring, and... And the way that water park is, it's like a big hill. And, and for some reason, Titus is incapable of walking uphill. I, I don't know what causes that. And so I, I spent my day hauling that little boy up and down a hill. Or no, actually just up. Usually down was easier. Um, and, and so like we come out of that and I'm exhausted and we're driving home. And we had just gotten out of Browning and, and we're driving along. And I don't know if you all ever driven when you're really tired. And you, your brain starts to wander a little bit, and you know we are we are kind of hangry at that point, um, hungry, angry, you know. Uh, but as I'm driving, I I was sort of locked on the road ahead of me, and all of a sudden I get started startled back to attention by a by a train horn. I was not in the tracks. Um, just a quick aside there, um, but. But there was this train running next to me, and he was, he was moving, right, because I was driving pretty fast, um, which is rare in my life. Um, and, and this train was running equal with me, and I'm, I looked over at it, and it kind of caught my attention how quick this train was moving. And, you know, of course, driving, I thought, hey, I wonder if I could outrun that train. And, and it was there two tracks there, three maybe, but it was on the one closest to me. And, and I looked forward, and this train is blaring its horn, and I look ahead, and there's another train on the same tracks, about a mile up the road, and I thought, wow, that's, that's something. And I, if, if Daniel was here, he would explain what was actually going on. But in my head, because I was really tired, I, I conjured up in my mind this scenario, like where, oh my gosh, those trains are going to hit each other. You know, and, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, that other train isn't even moving. Like, and, and they're blaring their horn back and forth. I wonder if they're daring each other. You know, and, and I'm thinking, oh, wow. You know, like, because if one train hits another, man, like, if a train hits you, it doesn't matter to the train. Um, but trains hit each other, and that's, that's something. And I thought for a second, I thought, maybe I should pull over and watch this. 
And then I thought, man, but if the trains hit each other, I'm going to get hit by the train, like, because they go all over and everything. And, and I thought, well, we'll just keep driving and, and we'll watch it in the rearview mirror and, and, and see what happens. And, and I think what was going on, because I got up next to the other train and I thought, oh, he is moving. They're, I think they're going to link up. Trains do that, right? Um, but I, I got to thinking about how um, there are times in life when things move toward each other, right? And there are warnings and there are sirens and there's everything else like the, hey, pay attention. Things are going to go wrong now. Like it's all happening. And, and like we get to make choices, right? Like we get to make choices. Am I going to hit the brakes? Am I going to push on? Am I going to like, like force my way through this? Like what am I going to do? And, and you know, sh- yeah, all the children were asleep by that point, except for Abby who watched cartoons the whole drive. Thank you, honey. Uh, but, but as we jump into Samson's story, Samson is at a point in life where he has, um, he has started his judgeship and he's demonstrated himself to be just not a very good guy. And all of that, not a very good guy is moving forward and like, he ain't going to hit the brakes, right? Like, and there is a reality coming toward him. It's sort of the consequence of sin. And it's the consequence of the actions that he's living out. Like, all of this stuff is coming together. And and this is the very beginning of it. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to pick out these three verses. I hate preaching on just three verses um, because it feels like too small a bit. But um, it made sense as I looked at it because, like, like, what we're seeing is we're seeing Samson approach the end, Right? And this is the herald of the end. This is the siren. This is the horn. The train is coming. And Samson thinks, I am strong. I am tough. I can do everything. And in reality, he can't. And it's about to go bad, right? So that is where we're at. Like, that is my introduction here. We'll come right back to it in a little bit. Um, little background. We're working through the book of Judges. I know everybody's heard this except the people who weren't here. So you've got to put up with it for them. Um, the story that is happening right now as Judges is like this period of time between when the Jews like settled in Israel and when the first king shows up, right? So they've conquered the Holy Lands. They've settled in. There's no king. There's no formal leadership. The whole nation is like led by God. And what would happen is every time there was a problem, God would send a judge and the judges would step in. They would deal with the problem and then they would sort of fade into the background, ideally, However, like the story of Judges is the story of decline, where the first judge is awesome, the second judge is slightly less awesome, the third judge is just really not, I mean, I guess uh, he was all right, and I mean, it's like watching movie sequels, right, where they just sort of, ooh, really, the one exception is Deborah, who was fantastic, but like, that's a whole other story, we're going to get into that right now. We get to Samson, Samson is the very last judge, and Samson is, is easily the worst of the judges. He just is. He's amoral. Um, He is selfish. He does things because he wants to do them, not because God is directing him. And actually, God outright, like in the beginning of the story of Samson, says, Samson starts, you know, doing these things, and it looks like he's doing something sinful, but God eventually sort of, you know, God lines it up so it works for good. And so, like, Samson never even tries to do his job as a judge. God just sort of steers the train into, into the wreck, right? It was at a time when the people were being, like the Jewish people were being oppressed by the Philistines. Um, The Philistines were kind of a funny crowd. They had moved 
to the promised land, very similar to the way the Jews did, right? They came later, and they, like, sort of set up shop. They came in on the coast, like, through the Mediterranean Sea. They set up shop, and they conquered sort of the inland. And um, that makes a difference. This story we're about to look at is a bridge from Samson, like, winning his biggest victory to Samson, like, dying. Got it? And so, like, heads up, this is where we're going. So Judges 16.1. Samson went to Gaza. Now, Gaza, I'm going to pause here real quick. Gaza is not in Judah, right? Like, you might think, oh, he went to Gaza, and that city name might just run right by you. Because it's like, oh, Eric went to Loma. You know, why would Eric go to Loma? I don't know. He went to Maz. Um, but, but Samson, like, going to Gaza, this is not like, oh, he walked across the street. It's not like he went to the neighboring town. Gaza is way on the coast, right? And, in fact, actually, there was a port there. Um, and it's actually, like, right in the middle of Philistine territory. So Samson's wandering around in the enemy land, <laughs> and he wanders into Gaza. What's he doing there? We have no idea, well, why he's in you know, the Philistine territory, we find out really quickly what he's doing in Gaza. Um, and so he is there, um, way away from home amongst the enemy. And there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. Now, um, he went into her basically means he went and like hired her, right? Um, Samson's, all right, Samson's biggest failing, like over and over again, is Samson is all kinds of lustful, Right. Samson, like, his first wife is, um, well, sort of wife. It's complicated, uh, which is maybe should be like the watchword in Samson's series. Like, <laughs> it's complicated. Samson married a woman in the beginning of his story that was a Philistine woman, which is, like, directly against. God would say, like, to the, Philist- or to the Jews, like, don't marry Philistines. Don't marry Philistines. Don't marry foreigners. Don't marry non-Jews. Don't marry these people. Stay married to Jewish people because if you start marrying, intermarrying, you're going to bring in all these false religions going to screw you up. Don't do it. And Samson, of course, like first thing he does is he marries a Philistine woman and um, she ends up dead. And like Samson's whole life is all about him chasing after women that he shouldn't chase after and being lustful. And I want what I want and I want it now. And then ultimately, like that kills him. It's like his his Achilles heel. Um, to borrow a phrase. So he goes to Gaza. He's there for whatever reason. And while he's there, he thinks, hey, I'm going to go visit this prostitute. Samson is not well loved in the Philistine territories, right? In the previous sermons, we talked about how, like, he killed 30 Philistines at his wedding, like, because he lost a bet. (laughs) He killed, like, an unknown number then when the Philistines retaliated by killing his wife, right? Right? He gets mad and kills a whole bunch of them. Um, and then, like, he burns the fields in the Philistine-like territory, like, as well, which was right in between the two murders or killings. And then Samson kills, like, a thousand Philistines in a battle. And so the Philistines don't like him. They don't like him at all. Um, and so he's there. He's in the enemy territory. And he thinks, hey, you know what? Everybody wants to kill me here. What am I going to do? Let's go visit, you know this prostitute and so he's doing something that's against god's law he's hanging out with the philistines which is also kind of a problem he is kind of reckless he's doing what he feels like doing that is his primary driver so the gazites gazites were told samson has come here they know he's there this is a big deal gaza is going to come up later in the story we're we're 
you know, it's important to understand that this is happening here for a reason. Samson has come here, and the, Gaza, the, the folks from Gaza, like, decide, well, we're going to take advantage of this. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. Now, we say the gate of the city. It's easy to think, like, gates here, right? I mean, they're annoying because you've got to get out of the car and, like, you know, and if you, if you don't get it right, you look dumb in front of the other guys because you can't quite get that wire over. Um, in the ancient world, city gates were a huge deal because it was a dangerous world to live in. If you didn't have walls or a gate around your city, it was considered to be kind of humiliating, right? And it was actually like a welcome mat for bandits to come in the middle of the night and kill people or steal or what have you or to like get raided. It, it, it was a big problem to not have like walls or gates. To step beyond that, the gates themselves would be about three stories tall, right? Three stories. This is a huge gatehouse, right? Um, it is a fortress on its own. And actually, as you walked through the gatehouse of most Middle Eastern cities in this era, there would be six rooms, three on either side, that were guard rooms. Like, this is where the guards lived. And so as you walked through the gate, the guards had the ability to come charging out at you, right? It was a strategic setup. It's not like... It's easy to think gate like, oh, well, you know, let's go in, let's go out. This is a, a serious fortification. So they surrounded the house that he's in. They hung out all night um, at the gate of the city. They were there, and they were ready. They were going to kill him. They kept quiet all night long, or excuse me, all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. So their plan is we're, we're set up, we're ready, we're going to go out, and we're going to kill Samson first thing in the morning, Right? Um, it is an exciting moment in Samson's story. We all know how it's going to turn out, right? Because Samson is, like, tough. And, and so, but Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of a hill that is in front of Hebron. All right, we're going to stop. That's our last verse, but there's a lot in this that's easy to miss. So Samson hangs out till midnight, and we really just don't know what happens in the intervene, right? Like he leaves the prostitute, and then he gets the gate and leaves. It's possible he killed a bunch of Philistines. Like this is a real possibility, right? It's also possible that they went to sleep, and Samson got up and left. It's hard to imagine him pulling up a three-story door and hauling it off without waking somebody up. But, I mean, it just doesn't tell us. Why doesn't it tell us? I think it doesn't tell us because this is the point of this little story is he makes the folks in Gaza really mad. And actually, when he has his eyes gouged out in the next story, spoiler, um, they haul him back to Gaza and enslave him there, right? And actually, there's a lot of hint that what he's doing right now is he's ticking these guys off as a, pre as a preceding moment for them coming and getting him. Now, there's something that is never mentioned in this little story here. Anybody know what it is? This is Mike's moment. Nope, he's not going to do it. Um, like, God's never mentioned, right? Like, not once. Every other time we see Samson fight, the Spirit of the Lord rushes on him, or God aligns this conflict for his purpose. God is never mentioned. And I think the reason for this is, is this is Samson like, like setting up his undoing. 
This is Samson destroying himself. And sometimes this is the case. Like sin, like we can soak in it and we can chase after it and we can glory in it and we can enjoy it all we want. But ultimately what ends up happening is sin destroys us, right? If you are blessed, your sin will destroy you to a point where you're ready to like come to know Jesus. And that's sort of the ideal. But it's easy to back up and just like carry it around and enjoy it. And we see that. We see folks enjoy their lust. We see folks enjoy their bitterness and their anger or their pride or whatever. Like there are all these things that we carry around and we just love, right? It is fun. And that's what Samson's doing. But Samson is setting his own trap and he's going to die as a result of this. Um, Now, there's some weird stuff in here. He pulls up these doors. Why would he leave with the gate, right? I mean, it's never like I got mad at this guy and I took his door and left. I may have done that in college once. Um, But it's not quite the same thing. Um, There is a phrase in the ancient world when you would win a battle, like you would siege a city and capture it, you possessed the enemy's gates, right? And, And that would be like an indication that you like charged in and killed a bunch of guys and won, which is great. And you possessed the enemy's gates. So Samson, like writes poetry and sings songs and all this, like he's a very clever guy, he decides, hey, you know what would be a great pun? I'm going to take their gates with me. And he hauls them off. By the way, this would take like, moving these gates and the posts would take like teams of guys. We're talking, you know, maybe like 50 guys to carry these things off. Like this is a big deal. It is not a small feat. Um, we say, well, he brought them to Hebron. Why would he do that? Well, Hebron is the capital of like, the Jewish people, right? Like, this is their capital at the time. Like, and so he brings the gate to the capital, puts it on a hill overseeing the, the town so that the people can look up and say, hey, we beat the Philistines. Are the Philistines still there? Yeah. Did Samson really beat anyone? Not particularly. Did Samson accomplish very much? No. Um, but he did get this great symbolic victory. I carried their gates 40 miles to Hebron, geography, right? 40 miles to Hebron. I set him up. And, and this is this like, hey, we won. I won this great victory, even though he doesn't accomplish anything. So does Samson do this because he's acting on God's behalf? Not really, right? Samson got mad, which is sort of this pattern, right? Every story of Samson so far, Samson gets ticked off and Samson does what he feels like. And usually it's an act of revenge, right? Hey, I'm going to talk, like, this is just how he acts. Offended, revenge, done. But usually what happens, and we've seen this over and over here, is Samson gets revenge, the Philistines get mad, and they, well, they get revenge back. And then Samson gets mad, and he gets bigger revenge. And then the Philistines get mad, and they get bigger revenge. And by the time you're done, like, all kinds of people are dying, and Samson is sort of accomplishing God's deal, but he's not accomplishing it because he's awesome. He's accomplishing it because, because he's a train wreck. He just happens to be a train wreck that runs over bad guys. Like, man. Um, but there's, there's kind of a lesson in that. God can use even the worst of us, even our worst, most broken, screwed up circumstances. He can use them to glorify himself, right? Um, all right, so what do we do with this? Three verses, right? What do we do with this? Can, is there anything here? Um, I, I want to I wanna set something forward here. Samson, we see his lust, his impulsiveness, and his kind of desire for revenge on full, like, presentation here, right? 
This is the worst of who Samson is, like, all out on display. And we've said it over and over again. Samson, like, we want to idolize him. We want to say big, strong guy. Samson's not a good guy. Samson's a good guy by merit of being one of the Jewish people and being the person that God chose to accomplish things for him. But Samson's not really a good guy. Samson's sort of accidentally a good guy. Um, and so, like, like this, these like things, this lust, the impulsiveness, the anger, the, all of this, these are actually symptoms of a bigger problem. And that symptom of a bigger problem is that Samson's heart is all about like idolizing things that are not like worth idolizing. He worships like himself. And actually we get that in the first story, right? Samson did what was right in his own sight. Samson says, hey, I want to marry that girl. And his dad says, hey, 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 wait a minute. Aren't there girls in Israel, like, people were supposed to be marrying? Like, aren't there girls here? Oh, but Samson says, oh, she's right in my sight. I'm going to marry her. Um, because what's right, what he wants is what's right. And ultimately, he never, ever measures anything he's doing against what God calls him to do or what God intends him to do because Samson's all about Samson. And that's the bigger problem is that Samson is all about Samson. And actually, there is a cool thing here. And I never noticed, I, like, I've read Samson's story a million times. I've listened to lots of sermons. I've actually preached on him for more than a month now. Everybody's sick of hearing about him yet? Um, <laughs> But, and I, I've read like hundreds and hundreds of pages, and it never occurred to me, Samson is kind of the anti-Jesus, right? Like, like have you ever played with Play-Doh? You know, and you get those little stamps, you know what I'm talking about? My kids, we don't let them play with Play-Doh, so they do it at Renee's house. And <laughs> Renee has an enormous collection of Play-Doh for whatever reason. Brooke. Um, the <laughs> so, but they, you, you, you do this thing with Play-Doh where you lay it out. Right, And you get that little stamp, and you jam it onto the Play-Doh, and you pull it out, and you get the imprint of the opposite of the stamp. Right? Now, in Greek, the word like representing this would be um, tupos. Right? And some of you all know this word, and are sick of hearing me say it. Um, in, in Paul's writing, we see where tupos is used to say, well, some people in the Old Testament paralleled the life of Jesus. Right? In the case of Samson, what we are saying is, like, Samson is a tupos. He is a rubber stamp version, only backward from who Jesus is. Samson used his strength to accomplish, right? He gets mad at guys. He beats him to death with a jawbone of a donkey, right? Like, that is a problem solver right there. Um, Jesus encountered people who were, who were, like, ready to kill him, people who were, like, like prostitutes and drunks and all, like, like religious folks who were evil and, and all of these people. And Jesus' response time and again is to use God's word, right, and to reach out to them to try and touch their hearts and turn them toward Christ, toward like, like following God again. Jesus was all about like a very different way of doing things. And we are very different in our culture, right? Like our culture says, I don't like you. I'm going to pummel you until you agree with me. Right? We do it with words. Anybody sick of Facebook? Right? <laughs> because we beat each other up with words. Like, you don't agree with me on this minor thing? Well, <laughs> Star Wars was much better than Raiders of the Lost Ark. Who cares? Um, but we do it with bigger issues, too. Like, we beat each other up because might makes right in our culture. Um, and in reality, this is what Samson is doing, but he's the anti-Jesus, right? 
He was doing the opposite of what Christ did. When Christ encountered folks who were like all about their sin, he called them out and said, hey, guys, like turn, repent. Like, look, God has this for you. And in fact, actually, he goes a step further. Like he dies for people who are enemies. Like, he goes out, he finds people, like, I mean, literally, the whole world, like, is in rebellion against God. And Jesus, like, lives this perfect life, never sins, never disobeys God, is a perfect, perfect man, morally pure, and he takes punishment for people who are wicked. He is the anti-Samson, right? By the way, here's the application. Watch your feet, okay? If your first response to people that you, like, disagree with or have problem with is to pummel them or is to attack them or is to hate them, you look more like Samson than you look like Jesus. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean because I'm that guy, right? I'm absolutely that guy. Um, it is so hard to love folks, period. But it's even harder to love folks who, who are awful. I almost said that wrong. Um, it, it, it's, it's hard to love people that are unlovable. But God demonstrates his love for us. He shows us what love is by sending his son to die for us when we were his enemies. That's fantastic. And in fact, actually, if you watch Samson's anti, or Jesus' anti-Samson thing, Samson is the anti-Jesus, Samson measures things by his own desires and his own heart, right? Samson says, well, wait a minute, how should I respond to losing my wife? I should set the neighbor's fields on fire. That's a good idea because it sounds like fun. Jesus measures things by the Father's heart, right? Like we see this in, throughout the epistles, like, and actually Jesus says it over and over again, that Jesus' desire was to do the Father's will. He went to the cross not because the cross looked like fun, not because he really wanted to. In fact, he begged God not to send him to the cross. He said, hey, if there's any other way, do it. But your will, not mine. And so when Jesus backed up, he said, what's God's will? What am I doing that's God's will? How do I do God's will? And it was always about God's will. It was always about being obedient. Because Samson is, like, well, because Jesus is like this perfect man. He is this ideal. Um, he submitted perfectly to God's will. I, uh, James, oh, my gosh, this is my verse of the morning. I've been praying about it, and it's in my head, so I'm sharing it with you guys. Um, and actually, it's in my head because... Uh, I, I read about a man driving into a crowd of people today, right? Like a, a Nazi, actually, is what he's with some like group, and there's a protest, a counter-protest, and he drove his car into this crowd of people and killed some folks. That's awful. And I, I bet you, you sit down with that guy, he thought he was accomplishing great things. And ultimately what James tells us is, um, this is James 1.20, if you want to read it yourself, we know that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God, Right? Samson carries gates off because he's angry. Look, I won a victory. No, he didn't. He didn't. Samson didn't win anything. He carried off their gates and got himself killed later because of it. Period. Um, when we see Jesus get angry, Jesus gets angry on God's behalf. Like he's righteously indignant. But Samson carries around his anger and his lust and everything else because Samson is all about Samson. He thinks his anger will accomplish what he wants, and ultimately his anger kills him. Another, uh, so like these are my anti-Jesus anti things. Let's back up and look at some other things about Samson, okay? And I'll, I'll, we're going to kind of start winding up here. Um, there's a great section in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 5, right? Proverbs, Proverbs 5 is all about like, all right, well, Proverbs itself is all a list of wisdom. 
sort of ideal versions of the world. Like if you, you know, if you want to be rich, you have to go to work. <laughs> I mean, it's stuff like that. Like, you know, the wicked, wicked men lay a trap for themselves. Like, so if you do evil, ultimately you set a trap for yourself, which is what Samson does. Samson, like, goes the opposite direction when it comes to wisdom. Um, but Proverbs 5 talks about chasing after, like, like, like prostitutes, basically, like loose women. And what they say is, listen, they look like honey. They taste great right out of the gate. But ultimately it's a trap you fall in, right? And this is, this is Samson talk, or this is, uh, that would be uh, um, David's son, Solomon, talking about lust, right? Like, hey, they look good, but ultimately they're poison. Um, because if we chase after things that are not what God intends for us, it kills us. Um, and this is kind of the story of Samson's life. And Samson probably has a general idea about this, but he doesn't care. Um, there's a great book, and I cannot recommend it more highly. Like, every man should read this. It's uh, Samson and the Pirate Monks is the name of the book. Dumbest title ever. Uh, it was written by a guy named Nate Larkin. He, uh, he was uh, uh, addicted to pornography. He was a pastor, and it, like, ruined his family and his life and everything else. And eventually he became, like, like got control of it or, like, actually submitted to God and, like, fixed it after decades. And he wrote this book. And the best part of this book um, is where he compares Samson and David's life, right? He says, how can you tell the difference between Samson and David? David was the first king of Israel, right? David was awesome. David was a man after God's own heart. And, and he compares them. And he says, listen, Samson, like, has this big, like, repeated moral failures. And David had one real big one, right? David got the neighbor's wife pregnant and then murdered the neighbor to, like, cover up. The, I mean, that's a big one. Um, so, and he says, well, why is Samson self-destruct, but David doesn't? And he comes up with a list of things. And the first one is, Samson is always close to, or Samson is always out, right? Samson is never close to home. Samson is wherever he feels like being. He is, I mean, literally 40 miles away from, like, home in an era where you walked everywhere you went. I mean, you might walk 20 miles in a day on a good day, Right? Like, Samson is way away from home, and, like, there is no safety net. There's no one around to call him out. There's no one around to hold him accountable. There's nothing. Samson is out there and alone, and he has isolated himself. And, like, like David, on the other hand, he's at home when this happens. Um, and what eventually comes out of that is Samson is held account- or David is held accountable, whereas Samson, nobody holds Samson accountable. Nobody ever steps up and says, hey, Samson. Maybe it's a bad idea to do some of this stuff. Maybe telling women your innermost secrets so they can betray you is a pattern you should stop. You know, maybe chasing after your heart's desire and ignoring God's direction for your life is a bad idea. Nobody calls Samson out because there's no one around him to call him out. David, on the other hand, stayed home. And someone calls David out and David repents and David fixes it, even though, like, like well, we'll get to that in a second. And so, like, men, actually, and women... Um, there's a huge advantage to surrounding yourself with people who have the same heart as you, right? There's a huge advantage to having people around you who can say, yeah, you're wrong. Like, dude, you're wrong, right? Like, you need to – or having people around you that can hold you accountable. This is a hard thing in our lives, right, because we have the Internet, and I have the Internet on my phone. Anybody else? That's cool. Um, except it's also horrible because you can do all kinds of stuff in secret now. Right. 
Um, there's another way we do this, by the way. We do all kinds of stuff in our own heads where we just pour gas on fire in our heads. You know what I'm talking about? I spent probably 10 years angry at a guy I went to junior high with. Just furious at him. And I had good reason. But you know what? Like, I didn't see that guy for 10 years, and I was still mad at him. You know how I kept that anger alive? I poured gas on that fire every day. Thought about how, like, he mistreated me and all this awful stuff he did to me. And, you know, and, and I, I followed Jesus, but I never forgave that guy. Right? It took me a long time to. Um, in our own heads is sometimes a place that we hide and we do wicked things. How do we fix that? Well, honestly, we surround ourselves with people who believe. We surround ourselves with people who have hearts that are after Jesus. Like we surround ourselves with people who can call us out and hold us accountable. We stand in crowds. That's what worship is supposed to be, right? It is so easy to walk into worship and like be as anonymous as possible. Anybody ever want to do that? Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't anything. I just want nobody to know my name so I can get out of here as fast as I can. I'll get my God thing in and all. But in reality, the people around you keep you from turning into Samson. Um, and it means sometimes you've got to say stuff out loud that you don't want to say. And that's hard. Believe me, it's hard. Um, I know it's hard. I've carried sin around secretly for years. It took me forever to get to a point where I could confess it openly. And, like, confessing it openly was the best thing I ever did. Um, Samson, another difference between Samson and David is Samson ignores good counsel. Like, Samson is told what to do. He's given good suggestions, and Samson ignores them. Actually, his father says, hey, don't go marry the Philistine woman. It's all going to go bad. Samson ignores it, right? Samson's given direction by God to hang out in Israel. He doesn't. Like, Samson ignores all good advice. Um, David, on the other hand, is somebody who, like, pursued wisdom and desired it. He wanted good counsel, and he surrounded himself with good counselors, right? Who are the people who give you advice right now? would be an ideal, right? But I'm going to tell you, if the people who are giving you advice right now are Facebook, if they're a guy whose life is a mess, I had a guy come and ask me about a, a marriage problem, and I was like, well, hey, you're really close to this guy. Why don't you go ask him? And he's like, he's on his fourth marriage. Why would I ask that guy anything? <laughs> like, look at the people you've used, who you've surrounded yourself with, because the people you surround yourself with, the people who fill you up, are going to be the people you become like, right? For Samson, it was Samson. And for Samson to become more like Samson was a disaster. David surrounded himself with godly men, with wise men, sometimes with, like, cutthroat men who had his best interest in heart. But, like, David listened and he pursued. Um, I got a couple more of these. I'm almost done. When Samson was called out, actually, Samson's never called out, right? David is called out. David repents. Uh, he meets Nathan. Nathan says, hey, tells him this story, convinces David to confess to this, like, adultery. And say, uh, David, as like a first century, or as, an, as a B.C. king, could have said, all right, somebody grab Nathan, drag him out in the yard, and skin him alive. Because ancient kings could do that, right? Ancient kings could say, hey, tie a, tie a limb to a horse, you know, four horses, and just pull them apart, guys. Get him." Instead, what Samson or David does is David is confronted about like killing his neighbor and committing adultery and all this. David tears his clothes and weeps and confesses and repents and like gets right with God again. Um, ultimately, like repentance is something that comes out of accountability, because if you keep you accountable, you turn into Samson ultimately, right? Um, I read a really good book last year. It was one of the best books I read last year it was uh, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. There's a book called Life Together. 
And Bonhoeffer talks about living in community with other believers. And what he says is, he says, listen, it's important to confess sin to people around you because sometimes we do it in our, like we pray. Y'all ever do that? Where you're like, God, I'm really sorry that I did this. And Bonhoeffer says, yeah, if you really stood before God and said, I'm sorry, you'd probably wet your pants. Like we don't take God seriously enough. And so sometimes when we confess to God in our own head, what we're doing is confessing to ourselves. And it makes it really easy to, you know, like, oh, sorry, God. My bad. Um, but to confess to another person draws you out, right? How hard is it to say, you know what, I, I have lustful thoughts. Man, I am angry all the time. Man, I, I spend money on stuff that I shouldn't spend money on. Man, I am more interested in my own way and getting my own way than I am in pursuing Jesus. Like, how hard is that? But, like, God gives us a gift in community, which is where Samson really failed, right? Samson lived alone, and he did Samson's thing. He didn't live in community. He didn't surround himself with believers. He didn't allow himself to be held accountable, and ultimately it killed Samson. Next week we're going to start working on Samson's death, which is awful. Um, But it's all this stuff. And all, like, for us believers, if you're sitting in this place and you're in that spot and you're like, man, I have wandered off, I am way out in left field, I listen to my own counsel, I do what I think is what I want to do, all of this stuff. Like, understand, we serve an awesome God who sent an anti-Samson to save you, right? Like, Paul tells us all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That is a big thing. It's not just, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus was the Son of God. It is... I know Jesus is the Son of God. I'm going to live my life accordingly, right? I mean, I know if I stand on train train tracks, I'm going to get killed. I know it. I know it to the core of who I am. Guess what I don't do? I don't hang out on train tracks. Um, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Jesus was sent to die for my sins. I pursue Jesus with all that I am. And then the second half of that, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That means, literally, Jesus is my boss, my owner, my master. I belong to him. Like, and it sounds like a tall order, but it means forgiveness, right? Not just forgiveness for what you've done, forgiveness for what you are doing, but forgiveness for what you will do, right? Because God loves you that much. Um, and all we ultimately have to do to avoid the Samson fate. And by the way, you can live in sin your whole life and die rich. There are people who do it. But ultimately, those people stand before God, and that is not a place anybody wants to be. We're going to close in prayer. My challenge for you today is to look at your life, look at your heart, and ask yourself, am I surrounded by folks who can hold me accountable? Um, am I surrounded by folks who don't know the real me because the real me is like buried three feet into the, into the dirt of my own heart? Like, am I soaking in in what's right in my own eyes and what's right in my own heart? Or am I pursuing Christ? Am I allowing myself to be accountable? Am I getting revenge at every opportunity or am I forgiving? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would... I pray that you would be with us, Lord. It is so hard to chase after you. It is so hard to put aside our own lust and our own desire and our own wants, our own anger, our own desire for revenge. Man, Samson looks like such a great action hero. He looks like so much more fun, Lord, but that's our flesh talking. I pray that you would help us to come to repentance and to pursue you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good morning.